Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Good morning. Great to see all of you. Thanks for gathering with us today. My name is Nick Elio. I'm our family ministries pastor. And I'm excited to teach this morning. <clears throat> if this is your first time with us or if you're gathering with friends or visiting, uh, something that we do every year is we take a bit of a teaching break. And what that means is our lead pastor uh, is our primary teaching voice uh, the majority of the time and then a number of the rest of us teach uh, different times throughout the year. And each summer, Michael takes a bit of a break and we also have this incredible practice planning well ahead for teachings. And so you may know this, Michael said a couple weeks ago, the teaching calendar will be planned out through all of 2024 by the end of this summer, which is an amazing way for us to look ahead and plan. And we don't have the Monday scaries as they might be considered in the church world where you have to start over on Monday morning and go, what are we going to talk about next week? And so with that, each summer, we have this teaching series where we take one topic, one idea, one verse or otherwise, and we ask a bunch of different people to teach on the exact same thing. And so this summer, we are in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Michael kicked us off a couple weeks ago. Uh, our friend Jasper Peters from Belong Church taught last week. Uh, I get to do so today. Uh, Maggie is back from sabbatical. She's teaching in two Sundays. And so we all get to teach on this exact same idea, and I'm really excited about that. Most of the time, I spend my time in family ministries, hence the title. And so uh, a lot of the time, that's with our middle and high school students of Inc. Student Ministries. Some of them have joined us this morning. Hi, friends. Oh, great. Um, and that's an amazing group of teenagers and an amazing group of adults that spend time with them. We're actually in our annual season of recruitment for Inc. leaders. And so if you're somebody who would like to invest in the next generation, or maybe you had an incredible mentor type figure in your life when you were in that season, you know what middle school and high school can be like, um, we'd love to have you join us. Specifically men, we are looking for male leaders to join that team. And so know that those opportunities are available. And then otherwise, I spend a little bit of time helping with DCC kids, and they are also in their annual season of recruitment for the coming school year. Uh, I usually have about 20 people on my team in total. It takes 20 individuals each Sunday to make DCC kids happen downstairs, not only so that you can participate up here if you're a parent, 
but so that our children have an age and developmentally appropriate opportunity to engage what it means to follow Jesus and talk about God. And so know that those options and opportunities are available to you. You can come find me afterwards. You can talk to Maggie, send us an email. We'd love to chat with you about joining uh, any of those family ministries team. But we're going to be in the Lord's Prayer today, and as I mentioned, we all get to teach on the exact same thing, and there's this funny fear that sort of comes up when that happens, because you go, what if we say the same thing? What if Jasper says what I want to say last Sunday? And as you can logically deduce, that's almost impossible. Uh, We're different people with different ideas, with different experiences, and so I'm excited to share some of the things that have come up for me this week. Uh, Our friend Hannah Tom is teaching in two Sundays, and I saw her at church uh, two weeks ago, and we mentioned this idea, and I said, what are you teaching about? What are you going to say? And y'all, she said some wild stuff that was just so not even close to what I was going to be teaching about. And so I'm so excited about the way this works out and sitting with Jasper's teaching last week and being able to do this. So I encourage you, whether you're here on a Sunday, every Sunday or not, check out the the YouTube page, uh, whatever that looks like, and you can hear all of these different teachings on the Lord's Prayer. So with that said, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, to be in this building together safely, Um, and God, we just pray that in these next few minutes, uh, you would be in this place, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word, uh, to things that uh, orient us towards ultimate, ultimate meaning and purpose. And we pray that as we consider the words of your son Jesus, uh, that we would be challenged and encouraged. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Teaching on prayer is an interesting thing. Uh, there's a lot of things that when it comes to uh, being able to teach, being a part of a church, uh, being in some sort of position, in a sense, to tell people what to think or do, as the church has been, it's a lot easier just to do behaviors, do's and don'ts, legalism, things that you can measure, right? If I get up and say something about what it means to be a parent or a husband or a friend or somebody who exists in the world, like you could actually leave here and depending on what you thought about what I said, you could consider doing that and you would know to a certain degree if it worked, if it felt different or otherwise, But prayer is one of these ethereal activities, this spiritual discipline that in a lot of ways we don't talk about, not because we can't, but mostly because we don't understand it, I'd argue. Generally speaking, prayer feels like something you've got handled mostly, yeah, nailing it, prayer life. Yeah, ton of nods in the room. Um, In the work that I get to do in family ministries, uh, I get to interact with a lot of people uh, talking about prayer, Uh, prayer when it comes to people getting married, prayer when it comes to uh, parents of newborns, talking about prayer with parents of teenagers, talking to teenagers about prayer. And the general consensus a lot of the times is, I don't don't know. I don't know if I feel it. Is my doing it right? Am I supposed to like bow my head and close my eyes? Do I steeple or hand? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And then we all have lots of stories of praying for a loved one who's sick in the hospital. And we pray and we pray and we pray and somehow, via medicine or otherwise, it works and somebody heals and comes home. And then 
on the other side of things, we pray and pray and pray. We have another story or another friend, and the same thing happens, and that person doesn't make it. Does prayer work? Why them and not us? Why us and not them? Does God answer prayers? Some, but not all. Or does God answer all of the prayers? Sometimes it's just no. And then somebody says, the worst thing you can say, you say, well, everything happens for a reason. Then why am I praying? It can be a little maddening and confusing. And yet, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, where we will spend our time today in Matthew 6, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is sometimes regarded as Jesus' state of the universe address, right? It's this one condensed teaching that spans chapters where he like just hits every topic. And he talks about what it looks like to live in certain ways, and he talks about what it means to be connected to the divine, and he includes this idea of prayer, He doesn't say you should pray. He says when you pray. There's a certain assumption that this is what it looks like to live a spiritual life. And he actually gives some pretty direct instructions about prayer. If you're familiar with Jesus, you know that he's rarely direct. Most of the times he answers questions with more questions. He's pretty fond of using metaphors and parables, talking about seeds and farming and all sorts of things that feel highly confusing to us, not living in a largely agricultural society. But even the disciples are known for not getting it, for not understanding it. Jesus is confusing. And yet here in Matthew 6, he's actually pretty direct. He starts with a few things that you should not do, saying don't pray like this. If you have your Bible, you can turn with us. We are going to be in Matthew 6 for just a bit today. He starts this whole section on prayer, and in you, if you have your, your headings in here, it sort of runs from Matthew 6, 5 through 15 or so. First, we're going to read 5 through 9, and Jesus says this, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they pray, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus names a couple of common pitfalls that... Apparently, he sees in the culture in which he's living, and I think things that he knows that we would be uh, tending towards as far as humans, things that he thinks that knows that we will be drawn to. So he starts by saying, when you pray, don't pretend. This word hypocrites is about acting, right? It's about saying one thing and doing another. So don't do that performance BS for other people. Don't stand on the corner or in the synagogue for everybody to see. We get it. You're super spiritual. Congratulations. He says, you want a reward? You're going to get it. If you want people to see you doing that and have some thought about what that means, you, who you are, they're going to have that. Mission accomplished. This is actually a great way to get out of praying at awkward family dinners if you are looking for an out. Grandma puts you on the spot and asks you to pray in front of everybody. You go, I'm so sorry, I don't pray in public. Jesus told me not to. (laughs) 
Because there are two ways of acting out prayer. One of them is this more performative way of doing it. But the other way of acting when it comes to prayer is having to pretend like you have any idea what you're doing at all. Something like this. Uh, Greg's Jewish dad, you know that. You're telling me the Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace and many a dinner table. Oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day day by day by day oh dear lord three things we pray to love thee more dearly to see thee more clearly to follow thee more nearly day by day by day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. Oh, exactly what you're doing and that you're way more in touch with the divine than the rest of us, or you could fake your way through what ends up sounding like a nursery rhyme using all sorts of words you don't understand. Uh, That's painfully hilarious, I think because we've been in similar situations where we've had to open our eyes in the middle of something to check that we're not the only one having this experience. Now, I for years said that I was going to memorize this and like pull it out at some moment when somebody asked me to pray. And I'm so sorry to say that I never did that. But I would suggest if you take anything away from this morning, please do that. Please remember this. Teenagers, just wa- that's from a movie called Meet the Parents. You certainly were not born when it came out. It's fine. Um, but it's very funny. Um, that's one way to do it. But Jesus says, don't do this. Do not put on some sort of show. He goes on to say, don't babble like this either, going on and on and on. He says, you don't have to do that like the pagans. There's this sense that in other spiritual places in Jesus' time, people were trying to unlock the powers of the gods, right? You don't have to say some perfect incantation, some words to get the divine to do whatever you're trying to get it to do. That's not how this God works. He says, the Father already knows what you need. I have a few other personal don'ts to add to the list of things not to do before we keep going. Uh, I'm a hard pass on addressing your, prayer, your prayers to Daddy God. That's not a thing. Um, don't do that. Praying scripture references, I think, is fascinating. I don't know if you've been in the room and somebody's been like, oh, Lord, just Deuteronomy 28, 28 over this group of people, and you do the 
De Niro and you look around, I don't have every Bible verse memorized. I don't know what you've prayed for. So I don't know if I can get on board with that. For example, praying Deuteronomy 28, 28 over all of you just now was that the Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion. So I already hit send on that. My apologies. There's a couple things not to do. And the list is relatively short. Jesus spends most of his time telling people what they should do. Uh, I want to say, when it comes to what you should not do, rather, uh, I've been in this business of trying to reorient myself when it comes to Jesus' words. When Jesus says, don't do something, I don't think it's a situation where I can't or I shouldn't. You might be able to guess what type of church context I grew up in with that understanding, but I think Jesus is saying, you don't have to do this. There's a lot of times when Jesus says, don't do these types of things, or when Scripture seems to point to that stuff. It's more that you don't have to do that. You're not going to be punished. You're not getting something wrong. Moreover, Jesus says that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's trying to free us in so many ways. So now, rather, he goes on to say exactly what you can or should do. What does it look like to pray? So starting in verse 9 again, if you still have your finger in your Bible, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if you're the take the Bible literally type, you can just pray this prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. You can just go ahead and pray this. And Christians have for thousands of years. And depending on the church context you grew up in, I'm sure you're familiar with these words. You can just pray this. I have not necessarily prayed this regularly growing up. I had a a short stint in Catholicism doing my first communion and those sort of things, but I largely spent the majority of my growing up time in a hyper-evangelical church setting, which I used to just call it freestyle prayer. We just pray whatever you need to pray, and that's how you get people calling God daddy. It's weird. But (laughs) some people do pray like this. I had a friend in high school. His name was Nick as well. I went over to his house for dinner, sit down for prayer, sit down for dinner, and his dad, who's sitting at the head of the table, says, let's pray. Everybody holds hands, head down. Here we go. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And everybody's doing this, like, in unison. And it caught me off guard. And we finished, and, that, and I felt like uh, De Niro. I was like, thank you. That was interesting, too. <laughs> I texted him about this this week, and I said, do I have this memory, right? Is, I was at your house, right? And he wrote me back. I, I wanted to read it correctly. He said, oh, yeah, but we said it really fast, and I never knew the words until, like, last year. So you can pray this. That doesn't mean you'll understand it or remember it. But what I think is more interesting is to take a look, uh, a layer deeper at what Jesus is getting at. And this is what's amazing about Scripture. We can do both. We can do a sort of plain reading of the text where we read what it says and we try to understand it and apply it in some way. But we can also go a level deeper and try to look at uh, the original language and and what was actually happening in the time and place. So we're going to do that in a way. Um, If you'd like to just pray this, you can. If you want to pray the words that Jesus prayed, you'll have to figure out how to pray in Aramaic. But we can break this down into some categories. 
And I want to show you a tool that we've developed uh, and really rebranded for DCC's purposes. Years ago, we worked with an organization called 3DM around some discipleship tools. And in that, they had something for the Lord's Prayer when it came to, to learning how to pray and teaching people how to pray. And something that we developed for family ministries that came out of some of our conversations around child dedication uh, came up with this prayer wheel. And so here's a shape that is for the Lord's Prayer. And what this does is breaks down these categories, and I've seen it be so helpful because there's a lot of loaded language in the Lord's Prayer, and we have a lot of experiences loaded with prayer. And so when it comes to trying to understand what I should do, how I should do it, I've seen this be so helpful and uh, enlightening in some ways to, to simplify it in a way. And I don't mean for it to seem elementary, but in some ways this has been a helpful tool to help me understand what Jesus is actually saying. So we're going to work our way through these categories with the next few minutes that we have, and I hope that it will feel helpful to you. So we start in Matthew 6, and Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, Father in heaven, hallow your, uh, Father in heaven, hallow be your name. What is God, what is Jesus saying there? He's talking about God's character. The beginning of your prayer, the addressing it to somebody in a sense, Right? You're, you're trying to say, who am I talking to and who is this God? Do you need to pray those words? No. Can you? Sure. But this is about orienting yourself to God's character, who you understand God to be. Admittedly, this is one of the harder ones because do you understand God really? I'm not sure I do in all sorts of ways. I think God is good and holy and gracious. So I can start by putting myself in a place of reverence. I can start by trying to remind myself who I understand the divine to be, acknowledging that I'm trying to tap into something that's outside of myself, right? This isn't a mindfulness technique where I'm, where I'm talking to me. I'm intentionally trying to connect to the divine. And so in doing that, I'm going to name God's character and who I understand God to be. That's a good starting point. Jesus continues, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we go to God's kingdom. Matthew 6, 10. Things get a little bit more practical here. God, I want what you want. I want more of whatever life connected to you is like. I want more of whatever the kingdom is like. In scripture, the kingdom is referred to as the places and where God's will is done. God, I want more of that here because I walk around and I don't see a whole lot of that. I see a lot of pain and hurt and division and violence and poverty and need. So I want to pray for your kingdom. And in doing that, this isn't a passive, hey God, you do it. Just reminder, your kingdom come, like we'd like some of that. This is also for me in the sense that I want to be shown ways to participate in your kingdom. As James suggests, don't pray for someone who's hungry when you have a pantry full of food. This is a prayer for me to orient my life towards helping the kingdom be more and more reality. That's how I get to participate in this. And so there's lots of ways that I can pray for God's kingdom. At work, at home with my family, when we go to school to drop our kids off, with our roommates, whatever that looks like, I can pray for the kingdom here and now. He continues, give us today our daily bread. That's God's provision. 
That's that verse in Matthew 6, 11. What does it look like to pray for God's provision? And what does daily bread mean? Well, for most of us in this room, those needs have been met. We have what we need today. We have clothes. You likely are not going to be worried about where your next meal is coming from, but that's not true for everybody. So maybe if I'm going to pray for God's provision, me personally, when I start, that's a prayer of thank you and gratitude. I don't need daily bread. That's already been provided for me. And if every good thing comes from God, then that's from you. So I'm going to start, God, thanks for what I have, a roof and a bed and food. And then again, how do I orient myself to live in a way that makes sure that I can participate in the daily bread needs of other people? This building is an amazing way to be made aware of those needs. Coming to work here every day, maybe you're not in this neighborhood more than once a week, but I see lots and lots of needs for people who need daily bread, literally or otherwise. May we be a group of people that walk out of this building providing for the daily needs of other people. I've seen somebody leave here on a Sunday morning and literally give their shirt off of their back to somebody who didn't have one. I hope that we can be that type of community. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, God's forgiveness. If you've been around church or DCC, you've heard Michael say that the only thing more sensitive to talk about in church than money is forgiveness. We love carrying that around. And if I forgive you, I don't really have anything to hold against you. So there's power in that. But this is passive, at least in the English. Forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. There's a sense that you've already done that. Are you working on that right now? That's a hard thing to figure out. And it's one of the few guarantees that we have in this life. I will need your forgiveness and you will need mine at some point. I need God's grace to do that. And this is one of the examples that is, I argue, nearly impossible to do without the Lord. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, which is a fantastic read if you haven't read it, says, grace is God's action in our lives to help us do what we cannot do on our own. And man, if forgiveness isn't the top of that list, I don't know what is. Being given something that I don't deserve so that I can in turn give it to somebody else who doesn't deserve it, is a powerful way to live. Even if we just did this one thing, if we were just radically gracious people, what would that do in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities? Lastly, these two go together in many ways. God's guidance and protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. They're separate on the hexagon here, but combining them, obviously they're in the same sentence, but for our time this morning as well, they're the most theologically complex in many ways, and they're grouped together because of the questions that they raise. Lead us not in temptation. Am I asking God not to do something that I think God does? He seems, at least in Scripture, I see a couple of examples of God tempting people. He agrees to let Job be tempted and tested in some sort of cosmic wager. 
The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted. And I'm careful not to conflate myself with Jesus when I'm reading Scripture, so I don't know that that's going to happen to me necessarily, but what does it mean to pray against these things and for protection? I'm not asking that from God. I don't think God is going to test me necessarily. In the mind of the ancient Jewish people, there was a sense that God walked with you every day. This was not something that you did sporadically or just tapped into a few times during the week. So to say, God, guide me, is to say that in all that we're doing, all week, every step that I take, I want you to guide these steps. So I think there's a huge piece of humility in this moment. How often do I walk around thinking that I have this whole thing figured out? There's a lot of my life that I can do on my own, or that I think I can do on my own, right? I have a lot of my daily needs met. I've been able to go to school and keep a job and do some things that allow me to think that I've got a lot figured out. I'm capable. How often am I reminded that I need God all of the time? There's a couple other interesting translations for this particular part of the Lord's Prayer. The NLT says, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The message says, keep us safe from ourselves. This is a posture situation, an orientation of how I live and move throughout the world. My earliest mentor, Dave Runyon, used to say, you're only three decisions away from wrecking your life. I said that to Michael one time, and he goes, or one. (laughs) My buffer really went away. How often am I reminding myself of what I'm capable of, of my need for God due to my shortcomings and my weaknesses and the temptations that I'm susceptible to? The first step in solving any problem is obviously admitting that you have one. And so Jesus is saying here, go on record as not being able to do this thing on your own. That's a lot of information in just a few minutes. And Obviously, I don't know where you are when it comes to your prayer life. I don't know what your experience has been. I don't know if maybe you're somebody who goes, man, I actually feel like it's really vibrant. I hear and receive, and it's a regular practice of mine. That's amazing. Maybe we can get you on the schedule to come up here in the next couple of weeks. But I think for most of us, and For me, in these conversations that I have, I think a lot of times it feels like I don't even know where to start. And so my hope is that something like this idea, these six categories, these words that just help me frame this in a certain way, give me a starting point. I saw somebody take a picture of the screen with your phone. I'm happy to send this to you. We've made physical handouts for our child dedication class. We've put a magnet on it. We said, just put this on your refrigerator and just rotate it every day and just pray for that one topic each day. Hey, today's God's provision. And so when we're teaching our kids to pray, when we're learning how to pray, we're just going to pray for what we need. For, we're going to thank God for what we have. And then we're going to rotate the dial next, next uh, day. And now we're just going to pray for God's kingdom in whatever way you want to go through that. However you want to use this idea, happy to have you use that tool. I can send you an email or whatever it needs to, to get you that actual in your, uh, wheel in your hands.
But I hope that this has felt freeing. I hope that there's an invitation to not figure out the right thing, not to have to babble on or have all the right words, but just to understand the heart of Jesus and an invitation to free us. And lastly, I think where it gets a little more tricky is to say that all of the language in here is plural. Us, we, ours. God invites us into a community of people. Your faith journey is not intended to be something that you do alone. That's why every time I get the opportunity to be on this platform, I say being a part of DCC does not happen in the hour that we sit here. It happens in between Sundays, in the ways that we participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in the world. So we talk about ways to connect from our summer groups to the park thing next Sunday to being invited to volunteer in family ministries. These are all ways to do this thing together. And that's what it means to live in community with others. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning, for the words of Jesus, for the invitation to be connected to you. And God, while it may feel difficult and confusing, I pray that we would be able to take a step towards this practice to do one thing differently that might lead us to further connection with you and to living in a way that your son has invited us into. That we do all of these things together so that we can be a healing presence in your world. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.